Chapter 1 This book begins with an expose of Grover Cleveland, who was known for being an honest politician during his presidency in the 1880s. Although he was generally an honest president as well, there happened to be an incident during which he disappeared aboard a friend's yacht for four days and lied about the reason for his absence. Moving on to the next story, we learn about Edward Howard Armstrong, also known as the Major, who was just about to jump from the 13th floor of a New York City apartment block at the end of January 1954. He had left a note that calculated the odds of his body being smashed upon impact with the ground below. He took the time to dress in attire which people would recognize him in for identification purposes and then moved over to the window. This part of the book does not tell whether or not Armstrong actually jumped. First, we are told the race to discover, decode, and understand the new phenomenon of radio will be run by Armstrong, David Sarnoff, and Lita Forrest. Abruptly, the narrative jumps back in time some 48 years as we join a much younger Armstrong being chastised by his mother for not coming inside when she ordered. The young Armstrong is, we discover, sitting in a chair, hanging from ropes, attached to his newest and best 100-foot antenna enjoying the feel of the wind at such a height. Even at this young age, Armstrong was considered gifted. From the construction of his first crystal radio set receiver came his dream of taking this new technology and using it to bring sounds of voice and music into every home in America. Armstrong had saved up to buy an enigmatic glass tube, which was called by its inventor, Lita Forrest, the Audion. While there seemed to be little practical use for this device, even from its inventor, Armstrong could see his potential. Skipping forward by six years, we join Armstrong in his early 20s, now a gifted engineering student at Columbia. The majority of his youthful inventions had come to fruition with the advanced knowledge he gained under the tutelage of Michael Pupin. Working during evenings in his parents' Yonkers attic, Armstrong had been tirelessly experimenting with the Audion in an attempt to boost the pitifully weak radio signals he could just barely pick up. On the verge of discarding the whole project to concentrate on his degree, he twisted a tuning knob in disgust and almost deafened himself with the volume of the signal he received. Careful calculations revealed this signal was coming from a destination approximately 5,000 miles distant. Armstrong had done it. A few years later, Armstrong had managed to perfect his receiver and also managed to demonstrate how it could be used as a transmitter at the same time. He was to meet David Sarnoff, the chief technology inspector and contracts manager for the Marconi Wireless Telegraph Company. Armstrong had one major flaw in his dealings with the world at this time. He was of the opinion that all people were as honest as he was. This had brought about a lack of impetus in getting patents registered for his inventions. Armstrong and Sarnoff spoke easily to one another as if they were long-lost friends while they set up Armstrong's latest transceiver. Once they had decoded the different Morse code signals from around the world, Sarnoff declared the Marconi company would license Armstrong's invention, providing all his paperwork was in order. Lita Forrest got word of Marconi receiving licensing of Armstrong's invention and was outraged because he felt that he was used for his genius once again. He had had a long history of being used by businessmen and companies, and now someone had used his Audion in a new design for a transmitter. A transmitter DeForest had failed to get his own patent on because Armstrong had beaten him to it using his own technology. Now, in 1917 and running for two years, the court case brought about by DeForest was about to bankrupt the younger man. This issue would fall into the background once America entered the First World War. Armstrong joined the Signal Corps and gave all of his inventions to the war effort for free while DeForest refused to fight and would only sell his inventions. 